0: I know a lot of wives and husbands who may explain their relationship be that way, but let Lincoln (laughs) be Lincoln. That is a really nice way of putting it. Anderson, thank you very much. Great piece. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. The first in the nation primary is New Hampshire, and the voting begins at midnight tonight in the East. We have two key players on the show. Both need remarkable results in this state. Senator Elizabeth Warren and Andrew Yang. Warren needs to justify considered in the top tier. Yang needs to justify staying in the race. We also have the governor of the Granite State, Chris Sununu. He is the president's top voice there. He is here to make the case and to be tested. So what do you say? Let's get after it. All right. The good news is we have no app failures to worry about. This is a direct primary. But Andrew Yang says Iowa and its problems was such a big setback. He may be just hours from knowing the fate of his campaign. He warned supporters in an email and part read the confusion and failure to see results for days has hurt our narrative, and our fundraising. If we miss this fundraising goal in New Hampshire, I don't believe we can continue contending at the same level. Now, Yang, as you may recall, made it back onto the debate stage Friday night, uh, made his points, uh, got some good responses from it, at least among the pundits. Now, he joins us here from New Hampshire. Welcome back to Primetime. It's great to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. So, first question, you pulling a booker? Is this a really dire situation we're talking about, or is this a way to make a nice appeal to get some money in the last minute?
1: Well, you can see the energy here in New Hampshire is rising. The crowds are bigger and more enthusiastic than ever. We think we're positioned to have a great night tomorrow night right here in New Hampshire. I like that you have learned how to
0: duck questions in your young political career. Are you really in dire straits with fundraising?
1: Could tomorrow really be the end for you? Well, we need to have a great result tomorrow night, but I think we're in position to do just that. New Hampshire has always been the most natural home for my campaign. The voters here are very independent-minded. They'll make up their own determination as to who they want to push forward. And we think that we're going to have a great night tomorrow night. I have found you to be a great uh, source as kind of an equal
0: tell on our political process. What do you think your problem has been up to this point in not getting more traction? What have you learned about this process that you didn't know and disappoints you?
1: Well, certainly with a crystal ball, we might not have invested as much energy in Iowa because I think that that lack of, uh, lack of clarity afterwards hurt every candidate, and we put a lot of energy there. But we're excited about being here in New Hampshire. Thinking in my case... Uh, There are many, many voters who have told us that they're excited about a number of candidates. We just have to make the case that I'm the candidate with the clearest vision for the future and I'm the best position to beat Donald Trump in the fall. Uh,
0: A couple of points of understanding. You said in the debate uh, last Friday that uh, Elizabeth Warren was talking about laws that would make a difference in terms of social justice. Uh, And you said something that's gotten a good amount of traction. You said, you know, we're not a few laws away from fixing social justice in this country. What did you mean?
1: Well, if you look at the socioeconomic inequities between communities of color uh, and other Americans, right now, black Americans have only 10% of the household net worth uh, uh, of white Americans, and it's very hard to pass a few laws that are going to somehow balance that out and try and eliminate discrimination in various structures. The most straightforward way we can even things out is by putting money into the hands of every American family, which would have a greater impact on people that need it more and have less access to capital, resources, and opportunity right now, which unfortunately is many communities of color right now in this country.
0: So your point wasn't laws don't work. It was you need more than laws. Understood. Uh, Let me ask you something about Bloomberg. Do you believe that there is a lesson in what we're seeing with Bloomberg's
1: move up through the polls that redounds to your own benefit? Well, the lesson is if you spend several hundred million dollars on TV ads in places you're unopposed, uh, you might see some poll numbers rise. I don't think that's new to anyone. The question really is, what are the limits to what money can do in this race? I think that there's a certain point when advertising becomes more irritating than informative, and eventually he'll find that spending money is like pushing on a string. We haven't hit that point yet, but I think that point is right around the corner. Mm. Steyer's
0: spending a lot of money. He's not getting the movement uh, that Bloomberg is. Their spending is pretty close. Do you think it's unfair to call Bloomberg just a uh, checkbook?
1: Well, Mike certainly has uh, a really good story. He was a very strong mayor of New York City uh, for a long time. Uh, and so he has a different story than Tom does. I'm friendly with both of them. Tom's a great man, and a patriot. Mike's a real authentic leader. Uh, I do think that Mike's story translates better to many voters, though, because it, it feels much more political. Uh, and something that they're familiar with. Well, because he's held office and um, Steyer hasn't.
0: Uh, You know, it's interesting. And the reason I bring it up is not to have you talk about somebody else the night before, you know, that the uh, primary starts, but couldn't you make the same argument to voters that Bloomberg's making? Yeah, you don't have as much money, but you've been successful in business. You understand dynamics that are outside government and how to get things done and that you don't really care um, to repeat the culture of leadership that they're used to.
1: Yeah, I think we need to focus on solving the problems that got Donald Trump elected in the first place. And Democrats are making a mistake by acting like Trump caused all of these problems. He's the symptom of a disease that has been building up in our communities for years. And my plans are the best approach to actually start curing the diseases that's been ravaging our communities, this disease of rampant inequality, this extreme winner-take-all economy that's becoming more extreme all the time, because technology is going to get more powerful and more capable in ways that most Americans do not realize, and we have to get ahead of the curve rather than continue to fall further behind. Biggest fear. Sorry, what was that, Chris?
0: Biggest fear for you, for the American people.
1: Well, my biggest fear is that we continue to play I lose, you lose, I lose, you lose with our politics. Meanwhile, the people lose, our communities lose, our families lose. There are many people here in New Hampshire who do not feel like their families is being included in the 21st century economy. And we cannot allow that to continue. That's my greatest fear is that we don't start actually including people in the unprecedented innovation and progress that we're making in some parts of the economy.
0: Biggest impact you think you've had on the race to this point?
1: Well, I'm happy to say that now many, many Americans, a majority of young voters, a majority of people in Iowa actually support universal basic income. My idea of a freedom dividend for all Americans. Five Democratic candidates came out and support, said they would support it or are open to exploring it. So this idea is not going anywhere. I believe this campaign has helped accelerate the end of poverty in our country by years, maybe even generations. And that's something that's going to stand the test of time. Well, listen.
0: We wish all candidates good luck as long as they're acting in good faith. Uh, I add an extra layer of hope for you because you are talking about things in ways that we are not used to hearing in our politics, Democratic or Republican. And I think it's good for the debate. I think you're good for the debate. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you. You're the only guy in the race I've never heard anyone trash. And that is a rare that is a rare credential these days. Wow. Mr. Yang.
1: Well, thank you so much, Chris. The Yang Gang thank here in New Hampshire is really exciting. We're going to have a great night tomorrow night. Oh, look at this. Look at it. Oh, ho, ho, ho. with
0: those edgy wow. uppercuts. All right. Thank you very thank much. You All right, Andrew Yang, the Yang gang behind him. I'll tell you what, you got to give him points for crowd control also. I thought he was in, like, a different room because they were so quiet. They were just being respectful. That is a depth of devotion uh, that they have to Andrew Yang. We'll see how it serves him in this all-important first primary. So, if Yang's goal is to survive, Senator Elizabeth Warren wants to thrive. She wants to prove that she should be the queen over all the bees, the Bernie. The Biden, the Buttigieg, the Bloomberg. But first, a reason that New Hampshire matters to Democrats that I don't think you've heard enough about. The Wizard of Odds is going to take us inside a very, very important reality. Next. Next. All right. The show is packed with people who matter tonight. We just had Andrew Yang. He has to do well in New Hampshire or he thinks his campaign may not survive. Senator Elizabeth Warren is getting seated right now. She's been at the top tier of the ticket. This state is a big deal for her for a lot of reasons. But one of them I'm about to tell you right now and that you should give this some consideration. And a lot of people aren't talking about it. Did you know that no candidate has ever won their party nomination without placing first or second in either new hampshire or at the iowa caucuses so what does that mean in new hampshire and based on which candidate let's discuss with the whiz did i get the first part right which which uh, yes
2: you got you got right, basically good. everything in there correctly and you can see it right here christopher take a look at this so this is the nominee standing in the new hampshire primary among democrats no incumbent running makes the list a little bit shorter here look at all this Look at all the Democrat nominees since 72 and where they finished in the New Hampshire primary. A lot of firsts and a lot of seconds on here. The fact is, at least going through history, unless you finish first or second in New Hampshire primary, your bid goes adios, amigos, goodbye. See you later.
0: Uh, and you will not say this is an aberration because there are more candidates this
2: year? No, I no, I it. I do not say that. Oh, there have been plenty of years in which a lot of candidates have run in 76. Mm-hmm. Carter, there were a ton of candidates that year, my goodness gracious. And he finished first in that primary, not on not strong a percentage, but he finished first in that primary. The fact is, historically speaking, you got to finish either first or second in New Hampshire. And that's why tomorrow's stakes are so important. All right. Give me more. So I'll give you more here. But let me give you a reason to take back just what I said and give you a reason why maybe this year will be a little different. Take a look at the demographics. Well, I might
0: be reason you, 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 know, you
2: went all bad on me. Well, now, now, you, now you're going to make the same with you. Point? We, have to, we have to have a little contention here. Right, Let's go. Go. Ahead. go ahead. All right. Look, here's New Hampshire's demographics, white, African-American, and Hispanic, and compare that nationally with Democrats. Right. Not representative. Not representative at all. Nationally, whites just make up 57 percent of potential Democratic primaries nationwide. African-Americans make up 20 percent, just one percent New Hampshire. And what have we seen so far this year? Big divides in the Democratic Party by race with African-Americans overwhelmingly supporting Joe Biden versus white voters have been much more mellow on him. So for me, New Hampshire is important. But if there's one year that's going to break the mold, perhaps it's this year. All right. Tell me more. I'll tell you more. So, here's another thing. Let's take a look at the trend line going on in New Hampshire right now. I think this is rather important. So, this is Harry's average from a week ago, Friday, and now. I think there are a few key things here. Number 1, look how steady Bernie Sanders is at the top. Hey, I mean, who are you? Who, who are you? am I? Who I'm good enough just to be give on your program. Me, just give me the here numbers. we go. 26 26 27 for Bernie Sanders. Here's another interesting trend line. Look at Joe Biden. A week ago before Iowa, he was at 19%, but look at now, 13 and 13. Here's who got into that base. Look at Pete Buttigieg. He was at just 12% before Iowa, then shot up to 22. But look how he's sort of leveled off here in the last
0: And let's then. be fair to Bernie and Buttigieg. Who knows how their numbers would have done if they had gotten the full benefit of the returns spot on and one of them was declared the winner. You know, obviously, look, Bernie is just strong. He's strong. at the top of the ticket. Yeah. He's almost getting ignored because he's been so consistently strong. Yes. That's not fair. But who knows what Pete would have done if he had been the clear run winner in Iowa, you know, that night. He could have he could have
2: even gone right. higher. So we'll, than never that. We'll, we'll never know. Well, we will know. never know. The fact is, tomorrow's a primary, at least. so right. We don't have to worry about the votes being counted in a good way.
0: I feel bad. I'm taking this back. But it's yeah. not like you're like Sony or Nike or Zenith you know, uh, or something like that. Or Chris Cuomo. Zenith. Boy, is that dating me? Yeah, that, that is. Ariant, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, Zenith. All right. We talked about uh, Warren. All right. Now we want to get to talk to the senator. That's the key on this show. Uh, Why should she be the first choice? And why is she the best choice for her party tonight in New Hampshire and overall? Next. All right. First fact. Candidates from Massachusetts, which is obviously where Senator Elizabeth Warren is from, they've done very well in New Hampshire when running for president. However there's a little bit of an asterisk this year. Why? Because there's another senator from a neighboring state of Vermont who won there in 2016 and is ahead in the polls tonight. But Elizabeth Warren is still swinging for the fences and just landed some shot on Team Trump. A voter asked her what she tells her golden retriever about a possible running mate. Listen to the answer.
1: Do you whisper into Bailey's ear,
2: who is going to be my Mike Pence? Who, who who is going
3: to look at me with adoring eyes every time I I stand or, or are you um I already have a dog. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. All right. Let's bring the senator in. Welcome to your first appearance on primetime. That was some shot to the snot locker. You just gave Mike Pence there oh. Um, Was that something that you had thought might come your way or what were you delivering to the crowd?
3: No, I, I had not expected the question, but it seemed like the right answer at the time. Adoring eyes. That's why I have a dog. That's not what a vice president should be all about. What would you want in a running mate? I want a partner in the fight. You know, we got a lot that we need to do in this country. We've got a government that's been working great for giant corporations, for billionaires, for lobbyists. we got to turn that around. And that means we've got a, pro- a lot of problems that we've got to fix. Those at the top need to pay a little more in taxes. That's why I've been pushing a two-cent wealth tax. And it means that we can do things like provide universal child care and cancel student loan debt for 43 million Americans we can expand Social Security payments by $200 a month just by asking the top 2% to pay a little more. There's a lot of work to be done. We've got work on climate. We've got work on gun safety. I want a partner in the fight. That's what I'm looking for. What's a the counter narrative
0: from those? Let's say they're open minded, uh, independent, could go left or right. Um, and they say, Boy, these Democrats, boy, they just can't take my money fast enough. Tax and spend, tax and spend. This president cut taxes. What's the counter?
3: Oh, come on. Look at what's going on right now. Amazon, Eli Lilly, Halliburton, they all declared billions of dollars in profits last year. You know how much they paid in taxes? Zero. Zero. Now, somebody's got to pay to keep this country going. And you know who it is? It's hardworking families. It's America's middle class. America's working class. America's working poor are paying the actual taxes to get this going. And Look, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. I have three older brothers. They're all still back in Oklahoma. One's a Democrat. Two are Republicans. And when they hear about what Amazon and Halliburton, Eli Lilly, all these other giant corporations have been up to, they get it. They're getting the short end of the stick, and they don't like it. Mm. So I say it's time to make those guys pay something to keep this country going. And it's also time to ask the wealthiest, richest families in America, the top one-tenth of one percent, pitch in two cents so that we can provide for the next generation of kids, so they don't all have to get crushed by student loan debt to be able to go to school, so that when, when a baby comes, a mama can still finish her education, or a mama and a daddy can both go to work if they want to. These are investments that we should be making in the next generation, and here's the deal. Even if you don't have kids, even if you don't like kids, they're the right investments right. to make to build our economy, not trickle down from rich people. We've had 40 years of that, and it has nearly destroyed America's middle class, working I get class the argument. families. We need to build this economy from the grassroots up.
0: I get the argument. Now, uh, Bernie Sanders and Good. you have been uh, dealing with uh, being in somewhat of the same lane. New Hampshire is a unique a lens on this. Yes, he won the last time. Yes, he's also a senator from a neighboring state. But when you look at the numbers in New Hampshire, what mattered in the last race with Hillary Clinton, trust was a big issue. What do you say to the voters of New Hampshire that, uh, forget about gender, I'm not Hillary Clinton. I, I can be trusted to the extent that she wasn't in that state. And it comes up in the metric. What do you say to the voters there about why you can be trusted to deliver as well or better than Bernie Sanders?
3: Look, I've been fighting for working families all of my life. I grew up on the ragged edge of the middle class. My daddy ended up as a janitor. My mom worked a minimum wage job at Sears. I wanted to be a public school teacher, and that was out of reach for us because there was no way to pay for college. Ultimately, I got my big break in life because of a commuter college that cost $50 a semester. I believe in working hard, and I believe in a government that helps expand opportunities for our kids. And that opportunity is just not out there for our kids today. So I spent most of my life as a teacher, first as a special education teacher, and then as a teacher in law school. I didn't start dreaming about being a politician. Uh, That wasn't wasn't in my plan. But at the end of the day, back after the financial crash, the fight came to my door. And instead of backing off, I Mm -hmm. stepped up. I fought for a consumer financial protection bureau that has now returned more than 12 billion dollars directly to families, that banks cheated. I've stood up to the big banks, got the CEO of Wells Fargo, I lit him up bad enough that the guy got fired. (laughs) I got in a Senate race uh, against an incumbent Republican who was just going down to Washington and voting against the interests of hardworking people. I'm not laughing at your answer, by the way,
0: Senator, just so you know, it was was just interesting (laughs) to hear you say that you lit somebody up. I actually met you and learned about (laughs) your work during the financial crisis when I was at ABC News. I reached out to you for perspective on what was going on with the government program. All right. So now there's a voter in New Hampshire and they say, boy, you know what? I like this Warren. She's smart. Uh, She's got a plan for everything. Good. uh, But I got to decide between her and Sanders. Sanders has never changed. That man is authentic as he is anything else. And Warren has changed a little bit. The Medicare plan changed, the timing, the mechanism, how to play for it. Uh, Bernie's more consistent. I got to go for Bernie. How do you convince him?
3: Look, look, all I can say, I'm not going to criticize anybody else, but all I can say is I'm going to deliver results. I got a consumer bureau passed into law at a time when everybody said it just can't be done. But I got it done. I've gotten about a dozen bills passed since Donald Trump has been elected, including one that's going to help the 40 million people across this country who have hearing loss but can't afford to get hearing aids. So I've got, I had a plan for an over-the-counter bill, got it all the way through, and next year people are going to be able to buy hearing aids across the the country. And somewhere Senator Sanders is yelling at you, uh, Senator, he's yelling, I wrote the damn
0: bill, I can get the results too. (laughs) What's the difference?
3: So I've done it. I've actually done it with an agency, I've done it with bills in Congress. And look, my view on this is we got to do on health care the most help for the most people as quickly as possible. Last year, 36 million Americans couldn't afford to get a prescription filled. Do You know what that means? They were scared enough or sick enough to go to the doctor. The doctor looked at it, said this is serious enough to write a prescription. They walked out with that prescription and they said, It's either that or groceries, that'll pay the rent on time, and they threw the prescription away. So here's how I see this. I'm going to start by protecting the Affordable Care Act on first day from the sabotage of the Trump administration, but you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to use the power that a president has all by herself, and I'm going to lower the cost of insulin, of EpiPens, HIV, AIDS drugs, commonly used prescription drugs. You the don't think Bernie can do the, the same thing on day that? one? I'm gonna use look, I'm gonna use all the tools. I have worked in an administration. I spent a year setting up an agency. I'm gonna use the tools of our agencies. I'm gonna use the tool that a president has by herself, and I'm gonna take the fight straight to Congress. We've got to attack the influence of money, the corruption that goes on every day. Why I'm you are not and not Senator Sanders or vote Judge?
0: Why? Why you and not them? I know so you don't look, want I don't know. You, I know you don't want to trash anybody. It's very admirable, uh, except Mike Pence. But the idea is it's either you they're going into the voting booth. They're going to put for you or they're going to put for Sanders. Right. Why are you and not Sanders? I've got
3: I've I've got the best chance to beat Donald Trump and I've got the best chance to beat Donald Trump because I can bring our party together, I've got the best chance to beat Donald Trump because I run on core Democratic ideas Mm. and values that every Democrat can get behind, everyone in our party can and should get behind, and that also pull in Republicans and independents. is how I'm gonna beat Donald Trump, and that should be our number one job come November.
0: If it's not you, how concerned are you that the party does not entirely get behind who the nominee is?
3: Look, we cannot have a repeat of 2016. We just can't do that going into this election. Uh, We can't have Democrats firing at Democrats or Democrats mad at other Democrats. We have got to pull together as a party Because we've got to beat Donald Trump and we've got to pull together as a party. Because understand, a country that elects a man like Donald Trump is a country that has serious problems. And we've got to address those problems. We can't just nibble around the edges of them. We've got to take them head on. And the only way we're going to do that is to have a president who understands what those problems are, has laid out plans to get it done, and then is willing to get out there and fight for it. Senator Warren,
0: I wish you good luck as we do all candidates who act in good faith. Good luck going forward. Thank you. All right. So you heard from Yang. He's desperate to stay in the race. You heard from Warren. Um, She needs to be seen as the top tier after New Hampshire. So now we have the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. I have to tell you, I've been around him, watched him work for his state. Does not act the way we see Donald Trump act on a regular basis, but he is here to argue why the president should win his state in the general election. I argue not an easy case to make, so let's see how he does it. Let's get after it right after this. President Trump on the campaign trail, making the case now to New Hampshire voters on why they should keep him in the White House. You'll remember he was bested by Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire in 2016. The governor of the Granite State predicts Trump will win this time in November. That is Governor Chris Sununu. Gov, good to have you. I want the audience to know if they didn't see the documentary. I know the governor. Uh, I watched him work. I advocated for the work he was doing to help with the opioid crisis, uh, which is horrible in New Hampshire for a whole host of reasons that have nothing to do uh, with the governor necessarily. Um, But we know each other. We worked on that. Um, So now let me test you on something else. So uh, the president said something tonight that I believe you would never say. Let me play it for the audience.
2: Remember last time we won the primary tremendously
0: we should have won the election but they had buses being shipped up from Massachusetts hundreds and hundreds of buses and it was very very close even though they did but this year you know we have a great governor governor Sununu great governor Chris all right gov I know you're not going to disagree with the last part because he's saying you're a great governor Uh, but the uh, you've talked a little bit about this but not like the president Uh, the Boston Globe Politico This has been debunked. It's put under the same category of the 2 million people who he says voted illegally in California. Are you worried about staking your reputation on a president that does not tell the truth like we just saw? No, no. Look, uh, at the end of the
4: day, um, what you're seeing here in New Hampshire is a lot of economic prosperity, which he deserves a lot of credit for, a lot of economic freedom, a lot of individual liberty. Um, A lot of his successes are translating to uh, a lot of success for our citizens at a very localized level, not because a big government, we're going to solve all your problems and tax you and ask you for more money, don't worry, we'll take care of it. It's a very different mentality. And that live free or die spirit really translates well with a candidate uh, and a president like Donald Trump that has brought a lot of success here. And at the end of the day, people are going to vote in the interests of themselves and their, their neighbors and their community. And that's economic prosperity. It makes a better quality of life, better individual living. It's why we have some of the we have the lowest poverty rate in the country, one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country, mm-hmm. some of the highest wages. These are things that really drive people when they go to cast that ballot.
0: No question. People vote on their wallet and they should. they got to yeah. take care of their households. Uh, and that's a specific yeah. concern, especially with what you're dealing with in the state. Can't argue against that. Uh, but as we both know, what's going on in the economy has been going on for a long time. Uh, This is a decade plus expansion. My argument is this. You could get a tax cut and you could get regulatory changes from any Republican. It would be anathema for them not to do it, actually. But when it comes to what else you get with this president, that is not Chris Sununu. In fact, no Sununu that I've ever met um, saying that he's going to put people in cages because he likes the message of harshness. Uh, Going after trade imbalances by putting tariffs on that, you know, hurt consumers here. These are not conservative values. He does not talk to people or about people in a way that you ever have in your campaign. You're endorsing the way he speaks, not just the policies. Are you okay with that?
4: Well, well, look, we have very different styles. I I don't think anybody has the same style
0: as the president. It's not a style, Governor. It's not a style. It's not a style. When you put kids in cages, it's not a style. When you endorse the policy because you like the harshness.
4: Look, he talks. Yeah. Look, he, I mean, talks he, in he a says lot things hyperbly, that you would never explain, say. God.
0: You'd never say it because you'd no, never be aren't. able to walk and, back and in your own not. parents' house. But he says it and you're Look, owning it by endorsing him. That's my my, my argument.
4: Uh, no, that's no, that's absolutely not true. T- Donald Trump does not define Chris Sununu. He doesn't even define the Republican Party. Right? One person, one point in time, one event does not define the party and where we need to go as a country. This this election and what you're looking at, Republicans and Democrats, whatever candidates you want to put up there, the president against whatever candidate, are you going to believe in it, that? It's a big government, big system that is gonna solve all your problems. Government is not here to solve your problems. And that is why Donald Trump connects with folks. Government is here to create doors of opportunity and for your kids and your business, uh, your, your, as individuals, whatever it might be. And then it's up to you to walk through that door. That's the opportunity government has to create uh, prosperity and, uh, and, and chances, whether it's mental health, opioids, whatever it might be. Mm. It's not a one size fits all government system. And at the end of the day, it's about results. Do I like the way the president talks all the time? Absolutely not. I don't like how he says certain things. I don't like the hyperbole and some of the vulgar language he uses. Of course not. But this is really fundamentally about where we're gonna go. Are we gonna back a socialist or are we gonna back the American uh, democracy and people having their own say and having the chance to guide their own path forward? And that's I get what we're here for. F- those I get doors the fear. Of opportunity
0: I get the fear of socialism. I get why that's working. I get that that's going to be a battle of definitions. But I have to argue to you, Governor, that it's deeper than you're suggesting right now. When When he called New Hampshire a drug infested den. Look, you've Mm. got a big problem with opioids uh, that is disproportionate. It's one of the highest in the country, depending on the metric, the highest. It's not because New Hampshire sucks. It's not because they're bad people there. It's not the way it should be defined. And that's the pass that you're giving him. I know you went after him about that when he said it, Governor. I read it. We did. Uh, There's no question. But I'm saying he does that. All the time to whomever he opposes. And you say you don't want a socialist, but you're OK with an autocrat that says, don't believe the free press. The uh, FBI is out to get you. You can't trust any of the institutions of government unless they agree with me. These are things you would never say that you would never allow no, on an opponent so. and you'd never endorse. And yet you're endorsing the president. I don't get how you accept that part of it.
4: Government has to be about results. It has to have accountability, right? It's enough, the days of we're just going to talk, say this and say this, but really not do anything. We're going to say we're going to, you know, find regulatory reform but not do it. We have got presidents that have said they're going to fight for better deals overseas and never done it. This president gets results. He's and gotten, at the end of the day, that's all he I, care USCA, I care about. I got the 603. And got,
0: he got the USMCA. And, which is wonderful. It, look, I'm not yeah. arguing the policy. That's for politicians to do. He got it done. Um, but a big what he's win. been doing with big trade, win. Republicans hate for a reason. Because of the tariff kickback. And you can't look at what's happening with the farmers. You can't look at what's happening in your own state and say, oh, we were wrong about tariffs. Turns out it's okay. We're doing all right. You're not doing all right because of that policy. That's just policy. but, But
4: you know as well as anybody as the deals become finalized, the tariffs go down. You use tariffs as the leverage. I don't like it. The businesses don't like it, but he's using them as leverage to get better deals, whether it's in China, whether it's a new multilateral deal in Europe or or Asia, whatever it might be. And the USMCA is a good example of that. The deal got ratified. The tariffs are moving the way we want them to move. And the trade is happening better now than ever before. Could Obama could have done it. He chose not to.
0: That, look, Obama that's could have gone that's fair criticism he on policy. To. But I'm just saying yeah. a president isn't just their policies. And if you're going to talk about results again, look at yourself, governor. You worked across the aisle to get granite hammer done. What's that? Granite hammer is this huge comprehensive thing they had to figure out in New Hampshire because this drug is awesome. killing their communities um, uniquely. So for a whole bunch of reasons, I did a documentary on it. You can go watch. But you reach across the aisle. You treated your oppositions with decency. You talked about addicts with decency. You wouldn't call a traumatic brain injury a headache. You wouldn't call addiction a weakness or a character flaw. That's what this president does. It's not just his policies. And I just think it's an interesting situation to have someone who stakes their political reputation on how they do the job like you do, Governor, and the family you come from, which I respect um, because I know what was put into you. This president... Checks none of the boxes. He could never be a Sununu. How do you endorse how he is, not just (laughs) what he does? He is
4: definitely not a Sununu. Look, it's, um, again, you've got to call the balls and strikes like you see them. And, and just to translate a little bit into what we're seeing with the with the first of the nation, that's why Bernie Sanders, as socialist as he might be, is going to do well in New Hampshire, because what you see is what you get every time. A little bit what you were discussing with Elizabeth Warren earlier. You know, we might not love the policy, but the, a lot of the Democrats say he doesn't change what you see is what you get. It's why Donald Trump does well here, because what you see is what you get. You might not like the way he talks and how he does it and some of the, the volatile, um, uh, you know, that, that vitriol that. Comes out sometimes, but at the end of the day, we have to all be about results, and you got to call him on that. When he said New Hampshire was a drug-infested den, I called him within a half hour. I said, "You can't say that. That's completely inappropriate." And we're going to hit back, and we're going to hit back hard because we're making huge progress in that area. He's making investments in mental health, early childhood education, and most importantly, the economy business. I find it comical when you see these Democrat candidates say that they're going to drive a better economy. Trump has exceeded all expectations. Obama was very clear. He said it can't be done. You can't see GDP of 3 and 4%. Yet these Democrats think. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't have GDP of three four percent.
0: He had it for a couple of quarters. His average is almost <laughs> identical to what the last three years of Obama's was. But that was that's a conversation for the mm-hmm. end of the day. Governor, I just wanted to get you on record about with the big primary in your state where you want it to be. You know, you're welcome back here to argue the case uh, for this president on the economy <laughs> or anything else whenever you want. I wish you well. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. All right, Governor Chris Sununu, thank you. All right, no matter who wins on the Democratic side in New Hampshire, we're going to learn something after this primary that I argue to you matters as much as whatever the standings are. This is what you should be watching more than anything else. I'll tell you next. It's looking good for Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire. This is almost all good news. Why almost? You put in a W up, gets the media talking, shows his solid place at the top of the pack, for now at least, keeps the donors coming. So why almost? Was that some media hedge? No, it isn't. Here's why. Sanders is expected to win, but the expectation is that it will be with a relatively low percentage of the vote. What does low mean? Under 30 percent. Why does that matter? Only one Democrat in recent history has won New Hampshire with that small a number. You have to go all the way back to Jimmy Carter. And there's actually a second almost here. As with Iowa, the bet on Bernie is that he can bring in a lot of first-time voters, voters who sat out the last time, and of course, a lot of young voters.
2: So our job together is to create the
1: highest turnout in the history of the
2: Iowa caucus.
0: Look, he says it all the time, and I see online. Bernie supporters. I just didn't see you in line in Iowa. Young voters didn't come out in big numbers there. And it does not look, according to projections, that it's going to happen in New Hampshire. And why does this matter? Look, Democrats, the general theory is that look at 2018, look at the midterms, look at the turnout. They're coming this time. Our people are coming out. That's what the Democrats are saying. The Iowa numbers were about where they were in 2016 and nowhere near where they were in 2008 obviously, when Obama was making his push. So the pushback argument here is what? It's such a big field. You know, is it fair? Is this apples to apples when you have all these Democrats these time, not just Bernie and Hillary? Well, Republicans had a huge field in 2016. Trump broke 30% anyway. How? By engaging a specific group of fiercely loyal supporters and playing to division and anger. Now, can Sanders match that? Well, he's not an anger guy. He's not a demagogue, but he does have an intense base. The people who voted for him in Iowa are mostly the same person. People who backed him before speaks a lot to loyalty and enthusiasm and being inspired. But he only won seven percent of voters in Iowa. Now, why is this seven percent? This seven percent. If you picked Hillary the last time, only seven percent of those voters picked Bernie Sanders this time. So what does that mean? That means there's a question about whether or not Bernie Sanders can expand his base. By the way, it's the same problem for the president. You can only get so many people in the tent by pushing division uh, and saying that you're against what they're against. So here's the question for Democrats now. In a year when the overriding number one objective of the Democrats is to get rid of the president, right, is the answer a battle of base versus base, or is it a different calculus? Should they be looking for a candidate who can make a case across some of the lines? That's the question. It still takes you to electability. That's what every Democrat is trying to sell you on. Now, let's take a look in the next segment. I got a bolo for you. Be on the lookout for something about electability that we we may be about to learn. All right, here's the BOLO. Be on the lookout. Bloomberg may not just be all about the money. Why? Latest poll, he's in third place at 15%, right behind Biden and Sanders. That's from the Quinnipiac poll. Biden, for his part, insists the concept, uh, this contest is going to shift, and it's going to shift in his favor when he gets to the more demographically diverse states, Nevada, South Carolina. Those are the next two up. That said, look at Bloomberg's support among black voters. It jumped from 8% last month To 22% this month. Biden's support dropped by nearly half. This poll has a new take on electability as well. That used to be Biden's mainstay. In this one poll, Bloomberg and Sanders have just as good a chance or better as Biden. Keep watching the numbers. This party is undecided. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon is coming up from New Hampshire right now. Don couldn't get enough of the weather up there, I assume. Or did something else take you to New Hampshire? Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the
4: Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that.